This morning, I was excited to be able to have the opportunity to come and share with us, because there's this passage, it's been on my mind for a few weeks now, and I've just been meditating on the thoughts that come to me from what we see here in the book of Esther. But before we hop in, let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your word, your word that is alive, your, Lord, your word that teaches us, Lord, your word which is rich with examples, Lord, of people walking with you and what that looks like and can look like for us. Lord, we're thankful for the book of Esther. And Lord, the things that we know already from this book, and Lord, the things that we can also continue to learn and to meditate on, and Lord, today, really just simple truths that remind us and draw us nearer to you. Lord, I thank you for using this passage in my life for that, and I pray that you would do so, Lord, in our lives, such that our fellowship with you, Lord, would be nearer, and Lord, a deeper relationship. Bless this time. Be glorified in us. In Jesus' name, amen. There's a story that I um, kind of love. I'm pretty sure it's not a true story. But there was a professor who, he was a family man, so they were moving on a certain day in the middle of the week. So he's getting ready to go to work, and the house is pretty much packed up, and his wife tells him, Look, remember, I know you're forgetful, remember that today we're moving, so while you're gone, the movers are going to come, they're going to move everything, we won't be here at this house at the end of your work day, so don't come back here, go to the new address. So he went off to work, and the day happened, they moved, and he, of course, being forgetful, forgot, and he shows up back at the old house. And he pulls up, and he's wondering, why is nothing here? Everything's gone. Um, and then he realizes, oh, yes, I forgot. It's moving day. What's the address? And he looks out front, and thankfully there's just a, like his neighborhood kid who's playing around uh, in the, near his yard, so he, near his old yard. So he re- looks out, and he says, hey, do you know the family that used to live here? And the kid says, yeah, I do. I know them pretty well. And he says, can you tell me where they've moved to? Can you show me where, where they moved to? And the kid says, Yes, I can. As a matter of fact, mom told me you'd forget. He has a deep problem of forgetfulness. It not only shows that you can forget some things, but also maybe your relationships are not as deep as they should be. I think about that when I look at the book of Esther. The book of Esther begins with a problem. Right, a king who's having a party and having a celebration, and he's gathered everyone, and they're partying for, what is it, I think about six months. And he calls his wife in, and he's going to display her for everyone else at the party, and she doesn't come. I think in that, we see a relationship that not many couples would, would uh, envy, that kind of relationship. It's not a close and intimate relationship that, that kind of shows up there and the dynamics. From that situation, the king seeks a new wife and he gets Esther. And I want to consider this relationship that Esther has. We started and we jumped into the book of Esther, chapter 4, which is really in the middle, in the middle. 
And I'll read a part of this passage then again, really a, a, a passage that kind of will focus on. And that is in verse 11, Esther says this to Mordecai, after Mordecai's revealed, the people are going to be killed. You don't know this. You're sitting up in the palace. Nobody knows that you're a Jew. But all the Jews are about to be killed. You need to go to the king and take care of this and see if there can be some relief brought to us. And her reply is, all the king's servants and the people of the king's provinces, they know something. What do they know? That whosoever, whether man or woman, shall come unto the king, into the inner court, who is not called. So you're coming without an invitation. You haven't been invited before the king. She says, everybody knows, if you've not been invited, there's one law. To put him to death. Except such to whom the king shall hold out the golden scepter, that he may live. But I have not been called to come in unto the king these 30 days. Something stands out to me about this relationship. I don't know that I've seen a husband and wife relationship with so much distance. Um, but here I see distance in how Esther and Ahasuerus relate toward each other. There's a distance. It lacks intimacy. She hasn't been called before the king for 30 days. She feels if I walk into the king in the inner court, I will die. That's interesting. Not only that, Vashti, when she was called before the king, she does not come, but Esther's afraid to come when she's not invited. She's a queen, and she's afraid to come to the king. Also, what's interesting in the story, and that stands out to me, if you look at Esther chapter 6, and I will turn there, Esther chapter 6, there's somebody else who seems to feel fairly free to go in and out before the king. In Esther chapter 6, it's nighttime. The king could not sleep, and he has the books being read to him. And while he is having these books read to him, it says in verse 4, the king says, who is in the court? Somebody's walking up, coming to see the king. It says, now Haman was come into the outward court of the king's house to speak unto the king to hang Mordecai on the gallows that he had prepared for him. And the king's servant said unto him, Behold, Haman standeth in the court, and the king said, Let him come in. That's interesting to me, that the queen is afraid to come before the king. But there's a man who works for the king, who is basically his right-hand man, who feels comfortable coming and going. He has a personal issue, something that he wants for himself. And so he shows up at the king. He says, I, I can just come in. Say hey to my buddy, the king, if I can use some vernacular, right? And the king lets him come. He doesn't seem to have this fear, but the queen does. There's a distance in this relationship that shouldn't be. Also, um, even after we know the story, right? So Esther does go before the queen before the king. But even when she does, there is this hesitancy that she has in the interaction. So I want to take a look at that. Um, so my first point, if I can call it a point, was that Esther and Ahasuerus' relationship has distance. But then moving into the second point, and I really want to dig deeper in here, 
their relationship grows as she comes to the king and he responds to her. We'll see a lot of different instances, a series of instances where their relationship will grow as she comes before the king and as he responds to her. First one I want to look at in Esther chapter 5, verses 1 to 2. This is when she actually comes. So we know that she has said, Mordecai, you need to gather all the Jews because if I'm going to go in and risk my life to save my people, my people need to pray for me. So have them pray. They need to fast. I'm going to fast. We're going to be together in this. And in Esther chapter 5, verse 1 and 2, she now comes before the king on the third day of this time of fasting. It says, now it came to pass on the third day that Esther put on her royal apparel. She puts on her royal clothes. And stood in the inner court of the king's house. She goes and stands there, ready to come in. And this is the moment of truth, right? Over against the king's house, and the king sat upon his royal throne in the royal house over against the gate of the house. And I want you to get the picture here, because in the book of Esther, actually at the beginning, in Esther chapter 1, we get some description of his royal house. We get some description of how decorated it is. And I believe he loves the colors red and blue and purple, and it's all over, right? And imagine the majesty in this room. It's decked out. And Esther's timidly standing at the back waiting to see if she will be granted permission to come before the king. In verse 2, it says, And it was so when the king saw Esther the queen. Can you just picture that? So he's not expecting her. They're doing other things. There's other business going on. And he sees Esther the queen standing in the court that she obtained favor in his sight. Now, I don't know that circumstance. Was that favor always there? And she just didn't know it. Would he have been glad to receive his queen? And she didn't need to be afraid at all. Or was there that need for prayer, and that has turned his heart from being stony to being ready now to receive her? I don't know. Part of me wishes, like, you know, I can kind of see that moment. Like, what husband is not glad to see his wife show up, like, in the middle of the workday and business going on? Like, I don't want all this. Okay, come on in. Right? Like, plus she's the most beautiful woman in the kingdom. And imagine the situation that had happened before with Vashti where she didn't come. And now Esther stands there. She's decked out in her royal apparel. She's standing in the doorway. And he says, yeah, there she is. Come in. Right? And he extends the golden scepter. Look at that. She obtained favor in his sight, and the king held out to Esther the golden scepter that was in his hand. That's the signal. It's good. You can come in. You're fine. In the presence of everyone here, come on in. No danger. She finds acceptance, and that's key because she did not feel that she had that acceptance. The king held out the golden scepter that was in his hand, so Esther drew near and touched the top of the scepter. And that idea of drawing near, it's actually what I'm exploring in this message. I'm titling the message, Nearer. Nearer to the king. Nearer to the king. So Esther now finally is able to draw near to the king. And we're in the second point, that their relationship grows as she comes to him and he responds to her. Let's see how he responds. In verses 3 to 5, the king said unto her, What wilt thou 
Queen Esther. And what is thy request? It shall be even given thee to the half of the kingdom. So she comes in, and not only does she find acceptance, but she gets an offer here. And this offer includes his kingdom. That is so cool. That she comes in and he says, I know. I know you want something, and I know you need something. What do you want? I will give you what you want up to the half of my kingdom. Man. And notice how she responds to this offer. says, and Esther answered in verse 4, If it seem good unto the king, let the king and Haman come this day unto the banquet that I have prepared for him. So she's prepared for the king and for Haman to come to her. She has a plan, right? We know this plan. So I think there is still this timidity in stepping into this room where she doesn't feel comfortable making her request here at the throne of the king. Now think about why that would be, right? If I'm, if I'm a king, why would I have a rule like that, that you can't come unless I've called for you? It reminds me of something. Um, I used to do security at my old church, and not because I was a big secure guy or anything like that. That was just my responsibility, and I had a lot to learn. So I took some training, and some of the guys that were with me took some training so that we could know how do we protect the church, how do we set in place emergency procedures, all of these sorts of things. And one of the things that we were trained on was, look, when people come into the church, they gather, and at some point in the, in the service, usually one, one person's going to have to get up and they're going to quietly sneak out because usually they've got to go to the restroom. So they're going to sneak out and they're going to quietly make their way to the back. So you expect people to stand up at some point, even though we feel sheepish when we do it, right? It's like, okay, at what point can I find my little break to make my little exit and then come right back in? But you expect it, so we're used to it. People will stand up, they'll walk to the back, they'll walk out, and they'll come back in. But if somebody comes, they stand up in the middle of the service from where they're seated, and they don't move toward the back, but they start walking toward the front. Everybody who's here concerned about security needs to be on high alert, because that's not the right movement. That unexpected movement toward the front is received as a possible danger to the pastor. So all my security guys were like, yeah, we're just waiting for that to happen. Let me tackle somebody in the aisle. They were ready. They were looking. They were anticipating that need. Not that they wanted danger in our church, but they were just like, okay, just give me the chance. I will take him out. But it's because of a bit of fear in an unexpected circumstance. And I wonder if for Ahasuerus, there's a bit of fear in an unexpected circumstance. If somebody's moving toward the front, toward the king, and they haven't been called, why is this person coming toward the front? We know from the book of Esther that there was a threat on the king that Mordecai revealed. So he does have enemies. I don't know if that plays in, but that's what comes to my mind just for some reason. But Esther does not feel fully comfortable making her request here of the king. So she says, hey, I prepared a meal. And people start to feel happy when they've had a meal, right? You have a meal together, and it's like, okay, I'm fed, I'm good. Okay, I can relax a little bit. So she's preparing an atmosphere where it's a little more comfortable. It's not stiff. Right? She's going to leave all the tapestry and all of that in that fancy room and all the important people in there. She says, let's just have a meal. So I prepared a meal. That's what I want, king. 
And so we see that she's timid here, even as she is offered the kingdom. He makes a huge offer, and she says, let's have a, a dinner. Let's do that. And we know it happens again. So he goes to the banquet. Haman goes to the banquet, and Haman's like, hey, you know, the only person who's invited here with the royalty is myself. I must be big stuff. He gets to enjoy that meal with them. And at that meal, the king immediately says to Esther, hey, what is it that you want? I know that you want something. And he is waiting. He is waiting. He's probably been thinking about this. Why did she come? I know she did not come in my presence, in the presence of everyone there, knowing the rules that we have. I know she didn't come because she just wanted to eat. So he asks her again, what do you want? Is it half my kingdom? You can have it. And again, she says, let's have another meal. She's still not quite comfortable making her request. But notice, though, that the relationship is developing. Both times, basically, the meal is right after. So when she was there in the presence of the king, in verse 5, it tells us in, in Esther chapter 3 that the king said, cause Haman to make haste. Hurry up. We're going to have a meal with Esther. Hurry up. That he may do as Esther has said. Notice his response. There's this drawing near of the two of them. So the king and Haman came to the banquet. They'll do it again. And then at that next banquet, then um, Esther will make known her request. I want to continue to see how the relationship develops. In Esther chapter 7, so we skip over Esther chapter 6. And Esther chapter 6 is where I think Haman runs into a situation with Haman, with, with Mordecai, where he was seeking to um, hang Mordecai. And it turns out that the king wants to bless Mordecai for what Mordecai had done for him. So Haman has that bad day and immediately leaves that bad day. And um, is called into the presence of the king and the queen for this second dinner. This second dinner that he doesn't know is about to end in his demise. So in Esther chapter 7, uh, verses 2 to 5. We'll see Esther open up a little bit more here. It says, and the king said again, and this is his third time asking, what do you want? He said again unto Esther on the second day at the banquet of wine, what is thy petition, Queen Esther? And it shall be granted thee. And what is thy request? And it shall be performed even to the half of the kingdom. He has repeated this over and over and it's got to settle in her heart to where she can make her request. So it's the third time that he's repeating to her and letting her ponder that my king is willing to give me the half of the kingdom. He will definitely give me what I request. So she's going to now make her request. But there is a confession in the middle of this request. See if you understand. See if you can spot that. So it says, then Esther the queen answered and said, if I have found favor in thy sight, O king, and if it please the king, let my life be given me at my petition and my people at my request. For we are sold, and I and my people, to be destroyed, to be slain, and to perish. But if we had been sold for bondmen and bondwomen, if we had been sold for slaves, I had held my tongue. I would have been quiet. If I, the queen, would have been sold to be a slave, I would have been quiet. If all my people would have been sold to be slaves, I wouldn't have said anything. 
but we're about to lose our lives. The need is big. And she says, um, although the enemy could not countervail the king's damage. So looking at that, there's a confession in the middle of there, and I wonder if you notice that. There's something that the king did not know up until this point. What is it that he didn't know? She's Jewish. In order to get what she's requesting, she's got to admit something. She's got to admit who she is. In order to save her people, she's got to confess who she is. This secret that Mordecai had told her to keep and that she has been keeping for some time. She now comes out with it. I and my people are going to be slain. Yes, I am a Jew. But in that confession and in her opening up about her heritage, notice what she receives from the king. It says in verse 5, Then the king, Ahasuerus, answered and said unto Esther the queen, Who is he? And where is he? That durst presume in his heart to do so. Man, that makes me think. The other day, um, there's a young man who uh, my wife has taught, and he sometimes comes to our house and he hangs out with us. He's a, I don't know, he's not even 10 years old, right? He's just a, a, a young man. Um, and so he'll hang out with us from time to time. Uh, my wife used to teach him, and now she just takes care of him and still helps to teach him some. But we went to the park on this day, and we set up hammocks, and we only have two hammocks. And so it's like, okay, is he going to hang out with me in my hammock? <laughs> no, I don't think so, brother. I want to be able to sit and chill. I was like, you can get, go over there with Abby. Okay, so, but he he's he's has a little bit too much fun. He's a little bit excited. Right, so he gets in the hammock, and he's flopping out this way, and then he's flopping out that way, and he, he gets in there, and he's like, okay, now I'm comfortable. And then he realizes, I can have a little more fun, so I'll flop out again. And it just went on for about five minutes. I'm like, just settle down. We're all trying to, we're just trying to sit here in the park and have a good time. We're enjoying the sun and the shade and the nice breeze. I'm going to read a book. Abby's going to read a book. You're going to read a book. Let's just settle down, brother. Too much excitement. But he's just flopping back and forth, and finally my wife gets him to settle down. And so then she gets into the hammock, right? And then again, he realizes, ah, I can have a little fun, so I'll flop around again. But this time, Abby fell. I got mad real fast, right? I said, yeah, look, look at me. He's joking around. It's not time to joke because you've messed with Abby. And you made her fall. I don't appreciate that. I was upset. Think about Ahasuerus here, his queen. And she has revealed to him, I am in danger. My people are in danger. I would have been quiet if we had been sold for slaves. But our lives are in danger. Grant me my life. Who is he that dares to do this? When she now comes out, opens up about who she is and the danger that she is in, she finds the king's protection. She finds his protection. Continuing, not only does she receive the king's protection, now going over to chapter 8, there's more. This relationship will continue to develop where she had not felt safe before. She felt like the king might have her killed. Now she finds he is going to protect her life. But there's more. 
Esther chapter 8, verses 1 and 2. Not only does she get his protection, it says on that day. So now this day where still things have turned around and Haman is now, um, he's either having been hung, hanged or he's about to be. It says on that day, the king, did the king Ahasuerus give the house of Haman, the Jew's enemy, unto Esther, the queen. And Mordecai, now her cousin, came before the king, for Esther had told what he was unto her. So again, she's opening up more. Not only am I a Jew, but that's my cousin, right? So now Mordecai's brought in. And so Mordecai's situation turns around. Mordecai came before the king, for Esther had told what he was unto her, and the king took off his ring, which he had taken from Haman. Now this is a ring that shows the king's power. Right, this is the ring that you seal things with and say, this word that is written down on this sheet of paper, this is official. This has some power behind it. You better listen. He takes that ring off, <laughs> which used to belong to Haman, the guy who used to, you know, let me just wander over into the king because I have something that I want. Takes that ring off. And now, um, I lost my spot. Took off his ring, which he had taken from Haman, and gave it unto Mordecai. And Esther set Mordecai over the house of Haman. With that ring goes power. And that power has now been put in the hands of Mordecai, Esther's cousin. So now not only has she found acceptance, not only has she found protection, but she has found power at her disposal. Look at how much this situation has changed and has turned around. She that was powerless before and felt like, I can't step into the room. Now she finds power. Wow. But there's more. Let's keep looking. In verse 3, it says, And Esther spake yet again before the king. Is she hesitating to speak now? Not so much. Esther spake yet again before the king and fell down at his feet. There is still this request, right? There's still this great need because something hasn't been taken care of. Haman's gone, so the man who has brought this danger is taken care of, but there's still something that he had set up, this genocide that he had set in motion. She's like, we need to take care of this. So she fell down at his feet and besought him with tears to put away the mischief of Haman the Agagite and his device that he had devised against the Jews. Then the king what does he do? <laughs> the king held out the golden scepter toward Esther. So Esther arose and stood before the king. It's not written here where this happens, but with the extending of the golden scepter, it's possibly right back at that throne room. But her timidity is gone. And she feels safe in his presence. And she can make this request, whether it's public or not public. He extends that golden scepter and now she who is crying and weeping, she is now safe enough to express herself. He holds out the golden scepter toward Esther. So Esther arose and stood before the king and said, if it please the king and if I have favor in his sight and the things seem right before the king and I be pleasing in his eyes, let it be written to reverse the letters devised by Haman, the son of Hamadatha, the Agagite which he wrote to destroy the Jews, which are in all the king's provinces. For how can I endure to see the evil that shall come unto my people? Or how can I endure to see the destruction of my kindred? 
Then the king, Ahasuerus, said unto Esther, notice how he responds, because as she is drawing near, there is this nearness now to the relationship. The king, Ahasuerus, said unto Esther the queen, and to Mordecai the Jew, behold, I have given Esther the house of Haman, and him they have hanged upon the gallows, because he laid his hand upon the Jews. Write ye also for the Jews, as it liketh you, in the king's name, and seal it. With the king's ring, for the writing which is written in the king's name and sealed with the king's ring, may no man reverse. She has found solidarity. She got protection, right? She got power. She got acceptance. Now she has found solidarity. The king says, use my name. Use my ring. Whatever you want. I'm with you in that. No man's going to reverse that. She has found solidarity. And notice how that solidarity is used. It says in verse 9, Then were the king's scribes called at that time in the third month. That is the month Sivan. On the three and twentieth day thereof, and it was written according to all that Mordecai commanded unto the Jews and to the lieutenants and the deputies and rulers of the provinces. Notice how much of the king's resources are put at her disposal and at Mordecai's disposal. All of the kingdom is now moved for their benefit. Lieutenants, deputies, scribes. And the deputies and rulers of the providences, which are from India unto Ethiopia, and 127 provinces unto every province, according to the writing thereof, and unto every people after their language, and to the Jews, according to their writing, and according to their language. And he wrote, this is Mordecai writing, he wrote in the king Ahasuerus' name and sealed it with the king's ring and sent letters by posts on horseback. They They start running. And they're running in all these different directions to the kingdom. And riders on mules, camels, and young dromedaries. You see those different animals that they're using? They're taking the news to very different regions. And it's a news of salvation to the people of Israel. She has found solidarity. She has found protection, not just for herself, but a salvation for her people. Consider that. A relationship that began more distant than it should have been. Where she said, I haven't been called for 30 days. And everybody knows. You step in there, there's only one rule, and that rule is that you die. Now, all of a sudden, she has the ring of the king, all of his resources, used to bring salvation to her people because of the relationship now that she has. So in my third point, right, we've seen this distance that they had. We've seen this drawing near, this developing relationship. And now... To us. What's your relationship to the king? What's your relationship to our king? We worship the king of kings. Over Ahasuerus' throne was and is an eternal throne. And what is our relationship with our king? 
Have you been called to his presence? Jesus says in Revelation chapter chapter 3, verse 20, talking to a church that has gone kind of wayward, the Laodicean church, he says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. Little side note on that. I was talking to a brother yesterday. Um, We get together every now and then. He's 71 or 72, and we play racquetball. This guy's been playing racquetball since the sport was, like, invented. Um, He's in his 70s, y'all. And I'm like half his age. We played three games. This is the third time I've played him. I started off nine to zero. I was like, yeah, brother, this guy doesn't know what hit him. He's now finally crossed over the hill, and it's time for him to understand it's a new day and a new king's in town, all right? I'm about to win this game. Nine to zero. I don't know how he did it. He turned it around. Somehow beat me 15 to nine. And then we played the second game. And he promptly went up nine to zero. Um, I lost the third game too. But we had a conversation. We were talking about his, uh, his aunt. So we had an aunt. I think she's passed on now. But she was in church one day. And, you know, she, the church that she's gone to for a while. And you know how sometimes if you've been at a church long enough, you've heard the pastor preach enough, he'll bring some sermons back. So he was preaching an old sermon, and she was feeling a little tired. So she's like, I heard this one before. I'm okay to, to settle down. So she, she settles down in there. She kind of like dozes off, but evidently she went out. She, I thought she was going to be snoring. I thought that's where his, his story was going to go. She didn't start snoring, but she was out. But he's preaching, and I think he's preaching on this passage about Jesus knocking at the door. So while she's out, he starts knocking on the pulpit. She immediately wakes up. I'll get it. Stands up. And then realizes what just happened. And she's looking at everybody. How do I save myself now? I just thought about that when we read this passage, guys. Just a different story. But Jesus says, I stand at the door and I knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come into him and will sup with him and he with me. We will have relationship. What's your relationship with the king? Esther said, I haven't been called for 30 days. What about you? Jesus said, I'm knocking at the door. If he's knocking at the door of a church that is walking away from him, how much more is he knocking at our door? Do we have an invitation to spend time with our king? What is your relationship with the king? Is it distant? It is not because of God. Because Christ came all the way here for us. And he said, I'm knocking at your door. What is your relationship with the king? Do you hesitate to come before the king? And I don't look down on this. This week I've been struggling with something. And I was like, God, I don't. Should I come talk to you? You're a holy God. And I'm just a human being with some human problems. What's your relationship with the king? 
Esther said, there's one rule. You come in before the king uninvited. You're gone. And sometimes there's things in our lives that may make us feel like I can't come before the king. I may hesitate. Now, you may not have any relationship with the Lord, right? You may not be saved. There may not have ever been a point at which you reached out to the Lord and said, that salvation that Jesus Christ came offering, I want that. Would you give that to me? I'm going to put my trust in him. And if you haven't made that step, then yeah, there's a missing relationship and there is strong reason to be afraid. But you don't have to. You don't have to. But if as a child of God, I still hesitate to come into his presence because of maybe sin in my life, do I understand the king? I was led to Psalm 51. When you think about somebody with sin, right? In Psalm 51, David had great sin. King David, who loved the Lord. But he's been caught. Caught in a sin that he tried to hide. Took someone else's wife. Covered that up. Killed her husband. Married her. Moved on. And then... Nathan the prophet has to come to him and confront him because of sin. And what does David say in Psalm 51? He says, have mercy upon me, O God, according to thy loving kindness. When I'm afraid to come before the Lord, I'm fearing his justice. But David reaches out and says, have mercy according to your loving kindness. According to the multitude of thy tender mercies blot out my transgressions. You see, in the house of the king Ahasuerus, he had decked out his, his whole room, right? There's red and purple and there's blue everywhere. There's gold. There's all these riches. And God has decked out his temple with grace and tender mercies abundantly. And we are surrounded by them. What is your relationship with the king? Do you hesitate to come before him? David, in this circumstance, says, I know in the house of God are tender mercies. Blot out my transgressions. He's not hiding who he is. He confesses who he is. Look at what he says. He says, wash me thoroughly from mine iniquity and cleanse me from my sin, for I acknowledge my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Have you ever been in that place where your sin, like it just everywhere you go, it's in the back of your mind. David says it's, It's always there. My sin is ever before me. Against thee, thee only, have I sinned and done this evil in thy sight, that thou mightest be justified when thou speakest, and be clear when thou judgest. I love this because I can read this as a believer, or I can read this as someone who has not yet come to relationship with the Lord and understand something about God. And what I can understand about God is he has tender mercies for me if I will ask him for them. What's your relationship with the king. Notice what David even continues to say. He says, behold, I was shapen in iniquity and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, thou desirest truth in the inward parts and in the hidden part, you, thou shalt make me to know wisdom. Purge me. Sometimes I may hesitate to come before the Lord because I feel I may need to make myself clean first. I need to get a little bit more distance from my sin. 
and really sometimes that just means I need to get a little amnesia and forget how bad I've been so that maybe when I forgot, maybe God's forgotten too. You know, God's not forgetful. God is gracious. He's not forgetful. So, he says, would you purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. Make me to hear joy and gladness that the bones which thou hast broken may rejoice. Hide thy face from my sins and blot out mine iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Notice, where is David going to be made clean? In the presence of the king. And by the action of the king. If I'm hesitant to come before the Lord, I am leaving myself to be stuck with the very sins that I need to be freed from. To be stuck with the same condemnation that I need to be freed from. What is your relationship with the king? Do you hesitate? Have you found acceptance with God as Esther found acceptance? There's a passage in Hebrews, and I love this picture. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 7, he's speaking about the Son of God, God himself. And he says, thy throne, O God, is forever and ever a scepter of righteousness, is a scepter of thy kingdom. Just imagine that. Right when Esther came in before the king and she's standing at the doorway and the king Ahasuerus holds out the scepter, she knows she can come. Picture God when I come before him. He says here in Hebrews, the scepter of righteousness is the scepter of thy kingdom. And God holds out righteousness toward us and says, you can come. And whose righteousness does he hold out toward us? It's Jesus Christ. And because of that scepter extended toward me and he never draws it back, I can come. I'm safe. Have you found acceptance? Are you timid in his presence? Sometimes when we ask uh, people to pray, this may happen sometimes. It doesn't happen so much in our teen class, guys, but this, this may happen sometimes where it's like, okay, I don't know how to pray. Somebody else pray, please, because I can't, I don't know. I'm comfortable talking with people, but I'm not quite comfortable talking with God. I'm a little timid. I don't know how to do that thing. Are you timid in his presence? Just like Esther was timid. Have you opened up to God, confessing who you are? Have you received his protection? Have you received, beyond his protection, his power? Before Jesus rises and goes away and leaves the disciples there on earth to do his job, he said, all power is given unto me. And then he adds to that, go ye therefore. Because I have all power, you can go. Have you received his power? What's your relationship to the king? Have you received his solidarity? The Bible tells us that he is not ashamed to call us brethren. To stand with us. Jesus says, if you're not ashamed of me, I won't be ashamed of you. I will stand with you. My power is going to be going for you. Not only that, what's your relationship to the king? As, as, as Esther found all of these things at her disposal, right? It really reached out beyond Esther to Mordecai and beyond Mordecai to the people of Israel, all the Jewish people. They find safety. They find salvation because of her relationship with the king. 
What is your relationship with the king? Are you bringing deliverance and peace to others? Who is experiencing deliverance, salvation? Who is experiencing peace because of your relationship to the king? Paul says to Timothy in the book of Timothy, look, give yourself diligently to to these things, the things that I've written to you about, this godliness that I've talked to you about, this doctrine that I've given to you. Give yourself diligently to that, and if you do so, you will save yourself and those that hear you because of your relationship with the king. So what is your relationship to the king? a moment to ponder that. And maybe like me, in thinking about this passage, you see an invitation to come nearer, and you want to. And maybe you're wondering, how do I, how do I come nearer to my king? Look at how it happened for Esther. She was timid. But she said, if we can have a meal together and we can spend a moment together, we can get to where I can open up. We can get to where your power is used on my behalf. We can get to where there's salvation for many. Spend a little more time. Because that relationship, if you desire it, No one desires it more than God himself. 